BYU is back, baby. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome again aboard the BYU Hype Train podcast. And I have never been so happy to hear Ozzy Osbourne on my speakers. Uh, brethren, how are we doing? Chew, MF and Chew, <laughs> boys. We're back. We're all the we way back. back. I mean, I, I guess. Back to I, I guess. I guess that's the. I guess that's our first overreaction of the of the show. Is BYU BYU is back? Is that an overreaction? <laughs> I mean, do you want to get it back to five hundred? But are you going to talk about? Uh, ask Trevor if he's feeling better or what he thought about his Jets beating the Bills. We're just going <laughs> to jump right into is BYU back? Yeah, well, I mean, it is the hype train podcast after all. We don't have time to be sick I, here. Well, I guess, I guess, I guess we rebranded, so we're no longer the BYU hype train podcast just as we hype, try and avoid, yeah. uh, as we try and avoid lawsuits and cease and desist letters. So now we're the hype train podcast. So I guess we can yes. hype up whatever we want. Starting with the uh, what are they now? Six and three, New York Jets. Yep, frauds. Trevor, when did when did they become your team? Because I always thought you were a Forty Nine er fan. So I did. I did grow up a Niner fan because my dad and I still cheer for the Niners. Um, but obviously, obviously, like the biggest selling point, like I'm not even going to hide it. Like Zach going there was one of the big selling points for me. But on top of that, having an AFC team that I could cheer for as well. Um, and I think there was a little bit of an allure there with just how bad they were. Um, and so seeing them, you know, allure of how bad they are. Well, the, like. The underdog, the underdog story behind it all. The, the well-known, the well-known David that is New York City. <laughs> that is that is a very strange way to describe masochism, Trevor. <laughs> I'm already a BYU fan, so wait. So let me get this. Why not, why not tack on straight. a little bit more? Let, let me let me get this straight because I thought it was just solely for Zach, which I mean, boil it down to it's pretty much Zach, right? Yeah. You were a 49er fan who. Yes is a competent team, multiple Super Bowls, who has a BYU player that is all pro, team I'm, captain, pro I Bowl, love Fred. NFL Don't you bring Fred into this. NFL top 50 player. And you were like, never mind to that. I'm going to go follow the disaster that is the New York Jets because they have a BYU quarterback. Hey, that is the six and three disaster, New York Jets. Frauds. Fraudulent. I... <laughs> No, there, there is, I don't know. I've always, I've always loved the underdog story. I always felt like Zach could help bring that team back. Um, and to be honest, I th- feel like they're currently winning in spite of him at times. And so that's interesting, but they do. It's an interesting, it's a fun team. They're a young team. I enjoy that. I enjoy having a couple of teams to watch on Sunday. I figured my best bet was to cheer for the Jets given it's there's no way you could accuse me of bandwagoning when I decided to start cheering for them because they were just so bad. Um, and now they're six and three. And now Johnny is getting all the ice cream he could possibly eat almost every week. And like, that's like one of my favorite things that's come all, out of this year is almost, Johnny getting his ice cream. The, almost for every the, week. Why for did, those why did he not aware. get ice cream a couple weeks ago? Because he, because he was, we were trying to, he was on diabetes watch. All right. We were trying to, Trying to keep him safe from that. That's why. That's why Zach so for threw those, 100 interceptions. <laughs> yeah, he was looking out for Johnny. For those who don't know, what's what's the story behind the uh, Johnny ice cream? Yeah, so Johnny, he's he's this Johnny Linehan. Johnny yes. Linehan. <laughs> yes. No, he Famed Johnny's punter and part-time running back. 
Yeah, Johnny's like part time. One time. <laughs> one and, time. You know, it, it wasn't exactly a long run. So, anyways. Yeah, Johnny is a. I think he's six. He's a six-year-old kid who his dad takes him to get ice cream every time the Jets win. And at oh, the it's very not Johnny Linehan. No, it's not. So Did you the, really oh, think it was Johnny Linehan? I I had. I'm gonna be honest. I when I said like for those who don't know, I was that I was that person who didn't. You didn't know. know. <laughs> I had, I, I, wait, you so you realistically you're like yeah, Johnny Linehan gets ice cream well, every time. Was, <laughs> the only time I heard about it was in the group chat that Johnny is in, and so I was like, wait, why does Johnny get ice cream? I'm so confused. All right, so let me. All right, so let me educate you then. So at the very beginning of the season, <laughs> that's awesome, Johnny interviewed sauce Gardner and and he told him my dad takes me to get ice cream every time the jets win and so he asked sauce he's like how many times am i gonna have ice cream this year and sauce said a lot of times we're gonna make sure that you get ice cream a lot of times and uh they've just they've just been winning and every single time the jets twitter will have the dad send a video uh johnny will give a brief synopsis of the game He'll show what ice cream he's having. Uh, the NFL made a joke last week about because they beat the Bills that Johnny deserved an ice cream cake. And sure enough, in the next video that the New York Jets posted, he had an ice cream cake. Uh, Johnny pointed out that the NFL was the main uh, motivator behind that. So it's it's been kind of this fun little story of this team that shouldn't be winning a bunch of games, but they are. And here's this little kid living out his dream of having all this ice cream because his favorite team's winning games. And I don't know, it's just a feel-good story. I, lo- I love it. When I tell you the immense amount of joy I felt when that Johnny kid didn't get ice cream at the hands of Mac Jones and Bill Belichick Why last are week you here? was so great. It's immense. Just me. Eat some broccoli. Eat some broccoli, kid. The Jets lost again. Gosh dang. That is like, <laughs> golly, this is a family show. I'm, d- I'm dead. Look, I don't care. That kid chose to be a Jets fan. Like, get FN used to kid. it. Yeah, more. get used to it. Get used to losing to Bill Belichick, kid. No ice cream when you play the Patriots. Oh, man. We'll see. They play That's again uh, next week. So, Well, speaking of underdog three lost teams who a current – podcast host is wearing a piece of memorabilia of how about the utah jazz electric Electric. absolutely very fun i haven't i haven't watched a single quarter of jazz basketball this year except for the preseason when i went to a game and if you would have told me that on that night when the jazz were losing by 30 in the third quarter to the san antonio spurs that they would be in first place a month into the season in the West Western conference, I would have laughed. You, I would have laughed in your face. Look, I, I, I am, the jazz the person I been... was with was trying to talk me into how Lori Markinen is the future. And I, I laughed. Well, Joe, and your friend was it a seems problem. To, it's, it <laughs> seems to be that Joseph. he is in fact the future. What the jazz been missing the last couple of years is that tried and true superstar. Right, like Rudy Gobert, obviously multiple Defensive Player of the Year awards, great. You know, this generation's um, Matumbo. Then you have Donovan Mitchell, who I think is probably like the Dwayne Wade to someone's LeBron. Like, I don't think Dwayne Wade single-handedly could lead a team to a championship. Just like I don't think Donovan 
could necessarily single-handedly lead a team to a championship. So what the Jazz needed was a go-to number one superstar option. And we have that now in Laurie Markkinen. It's great. I mean, really, it's three superstars. It's Laurie Markkinen, it's Jordan Clarkson, and it's Kelly Olynyk. And those three, the new big three, step aside, LeBron, Russell Westbrook, Anthony Davis, step aside, uh, Harden, Embiid, and whoever else the Sixers have. I don't know if they have a big three, but... Regardless, the new big three in town is Markinen, Olenek, and Jordan Clarkson. <laughs> and they're going to take their, I mean, they already are taking the league by storm. It's electric. They're electric to watch. They're so much fun. Um, and that's, I think, that, I mean, th- admittedly, like the last couple of years of jazz basketball, like weren't that fun, right? Like there's all the off court drama. You could tell that like this group had kind of reached their wits end with each other at times. And it just, it just wasn't fun basketball all the time. But this team, man, like they play hard, they are scrappy, but they're also talented. And I think is what sets them apart from other teams that were supposedly supposed to tank, right? Like the Spurs are bad. Um, But like this NBA team, this Jazz team has NBA guys on the roster and they like playing with each other. They're fun. They try hard every single night. Uh, It's just it's just electric basketball. I feel like. I feel like this is going to be this team's going to turn into like they're going to get a movie. It's going to be like Moneyball 2. And yeah. uh and it really because it really is. It's like this team that shouldn't work because because it's tanking season and Danny Ainge absolutely created a so, monster. So I, here's here's did Danny Ainge know what he was doing? Cuz like the 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 talk around Twitter is that like, oh my gosh, Danny Ainge must be furious right now that this team is winning so many games. I'm not so sure. I, I admittedly I, they said, like, no, we're not like rebuilding, we're like retooling. Right. And like you see the trade that they made, like the Jazz. I granted, like, this is a long, long shot, but there is a world out there that exists where this year's jazz team makes the playoffs, maybe makes a deep playoff run. I don't know. I'm not well, going go to go that According far, to 538, they have a 17% chance of making the NBA finals and like a 60% yes. chance of making the playoffs. Yes. So yes. say what you will. And they could do that, and you could get Victor Webb and Yama with the, Grizzly, or with the Timberwolves lottery pick. Like if Minnesota implodes, which they were literally playing Money five ball. on They were literally playing five on four last night because D'Angelo Russell didn't know he was supposed to check into the game. Like that's how poorly things are going in Minnesota right now. If the Jazz somehow could make the playoffs, maybe make the finals, I don't know, 17% chance, I'll take it, and get like a high lottery pick in this NBA draft. Danny Ainge, like they'll have to build him a statue at the end of the regular season. Like he, it'll be the Stockton Malone statues and right in the dead center is going to be Danny Ainge and big bronze, 20 feet tall uh, statue. But to circle it all back to BYU, obviously Danny's a BYU guy. Like how awesome is it that like potentially two of the biggest lopsided trades in NBA history, Danny Ainge, former BYU basketball star is the GM the winning GM of those two trades, right? He fleeced Brooklyn Nets when he was with the Celtics, trading away Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett. And he, we could potentially be seeing another fleecing at the hands of Danny Ainge, this time to the Minnesota Timberwolves, sending away Rudy Gobert, getting back all those picks, getting Walker Kessler, who looks awesome, getting Malik Beasley, who's a significant contributor. You flip Patrick Beverly for Taylor Horton Tucker from the Los Angeles Lakers. Well, no, that's awesome. the, like when you, when you said the, when you said the two blockbuster trades that, 
you know, in NBA history that he's won. I was thinking, you know, dealing Rudy to the Timberwolves and then, you know, flipping Patrick Beverly for THT. <laughs> I mean, I love Beverly. Like Beverly admittedly is one of my favorite players in the NBA. I was pissed when they traded him because I just really enjoy him a lot. I think he's you kind would of like Patrick Beverly. He's, look, he's a piece <laughs> that the Jazz had been missing the last two years was like that tough nose, like a Jay Crowder type, right? Who he walked in, in the building out, and left some of that attitude and then and then got traded off. That's all it was for. Yeah. But like you get Jared Vanderbilt too in that trade who looks awesome. Like it's just, it was a fleecing, a fleecing. As much as I, I mean, I love Rudy as I think every jazz fan admittedly loves Rudy, but like that, what a fleecing that was. And then you talk about the Cleveland trade. Donovan's been tearing it up for the Cavs, but you get back Colin Sexton who looks awesome. Laurie Markkinen, superstar, all-star. Uh, he's going to be in the all-star game in Salt Lake City this year, hopefully. Um, I, it's it. just A plus chestnut checkers uh, by Danny Ainge. Uh, absolutely awesome. To, to answer your and, question, Joe, I was just going to say, I don't know if it's so much like, I don't think Danny Ainge, I don't think any GM intentionally wants to tank. I'm sure in the back of his mind, he had a theory. And that theory, if it worked, is what we have and if it didn't work then we just get a lottery pick either way i mean yeah it's a win-win right Right. like you get all those picks and either they're awesome and you win and you still have all those picks or you're bad and you have your own high lottery picks i don't know but you're you get under the cap like you get rid of rudy gobert's contract you have guys who are either on short term or team-friendly deals like it's just a master class and Here's how to rebuild a team quickly by Danny Ainge. And we saw him do it with the Celtics, right? Like he got rid of the aging superstars and the team that wasn't going to be able to keep winning. He brought in the picks and he turned the Celtics into a playoff team in like two years with Isaiah Thomas leading the way. And they reached the Eastern Conference Finals like two, three years after they blew it up. When no one thought that the Celtics would be a playoff team, they came out and were one of the top seeds in the East. And now you're seeing it with the Utah Jazz. No one thought this Jazz team would be good. But Danny Ainge worked his magic again, and this Jazz team is good, and they're fun. Like, I'd rather watch, like, fun basketball that maybe isn't championship contenders, right? Like, the Jazz were the one seed a couple years ago, but it just wasn't fun watching that team all the time. But night in and night out, this Jazz team is electric to watch. So all of that, to put a pretty ball on this, it just goes to show that everything BYU alumni do is a master class. Yeah, Ryan Smith. Ryan it's Smith, Danny awesome. Ainge, you got a couple of BYU guys leading the Jazz. We're gonna we're gonna win a championship. All the Utah fans who said I'm not gonna root for the Jazz anymore because of Ryan Smith and Danny Ainge. Sorry, sorry, no take backsies. You're off the you're yeah, off the Jazz high screen. Yep. Keeping receipts. Uh, anyways, uh, we're 15 minutes in and we haven't mentioned BYU football once. That's not uh, true. We said they were back. That is That's true. all that needed BYU... to be said. <laughs> they're back on the conversation topic for us. Uh, okay, so four-game losing streak is over. Uh, I, I want to know what was the – how low did you guys get when Lupini's touchdown was called not a touchdown? And how high – like, in contrast, how high were you when Puka's touchdown was called? Uh, my low was not that very low because I had already hit rock bottom before. Like I was at rock bottom coming into the game. And so like, that was 
like I couldn't help but laugh. Like, yeah, well, naturally, this is what's going to happen, and BYU is going to lose the game, and they're probably going to lose by three points because of this touchdown. Like, that's how low we had been prior to that, so it didn't get much lower. Um, I mean, it was sweet justice that, like, later in the game, Boise State had also a clear touchdown be ruled short and then not overturned in replay, although they got a chance again to score afterwards, which they did. Um, but wow, the highs of Puka Nakua's. I didn't think it was a touchdown until like they showed the replay for like the fifth time and they showed that extra angle Second where you saw the right toe touch. Cause I was like texting with like family, like my grandpa couldn't find FS2 on his TV. So he was asking me what was going on. Um, and he was, I think he was just listening to it on the radio and he asked like, Oh, is he in? And I was like, Oh, like, I don't think so. Um, but wow, when they said the ruling on, but then I saw the second toe, I'm like, okay, there's no way like you can like reverse this call. Like that looks in. And if it looks in, you have to stay with the call on the field. So oh, just electric in the uh, Miller household that night. Yeah. As far as lows go, I think, I think I was right along with Hunter there. Like just after four losses, there just was nowhere to go. Um, that being said, I I found myself experiencing a similar frustration that I actually had to two years ago when we were playing up at Boise, where it was a close game at half, but I felt like this BYU team and the offense especially had played well enough to be up at least two scores. Um, like Zach Wilson and those guys, especially, I mean, that we obviously saw it in the second half, they put up 50, but just similar vibes where it was like, it was like, why are we letting a team that that on this day we are clearly better than as far as offense and defense matchup goes, why are we letting them stay around? And then of course the touchdown doesn't, doesn't pan out. I wish we could have had, I don't know, a lead blocker or two so that we didn't have to worry about it being that close, but that's just, you know, I digress. Um, But that being said to kind of describe the high of Puka's catch, I, uh, our TV is downstairs, um, and by the end of the catch, I was up the stairs screaming and coming down to my daughter, Ridley, who said, Dad, you're really silly. So I was <laughs> I was hooping and hollering, and I was freaking out, and uh, Ridley got a big old kick out of it. So it was just to see it stand. I was with Hunter. I, I think I texted actually in our group chat that it was out. Um, but then I kept watching and it just kept that, I think it was the, what would that have been the left foot, even before, even before the picture, like the second foot that would have gotten down. I, I kept saying, I think it hits before everything else and the call ended up standing. And so it was, uh, it was a night of a lot of emotions. It truly was. So I had, I had the exact opposite experience of Trevor, uh, when, you know, Ridley saying, you know, dad, you're so silly. I had the exact opposite experience uh, when Lapini didn't get in. Um, without sharing too many details, uh, my my wife and my parents were outside getting ready to go to my sister's house because she just had a baby and we're going to see the baby. Uh, and I decided to stay in because uh, naturally the, the play just happened and I was waiting for the, the official to you know, to come back and say that the ruling on the field has been overturned. And so I'm in the house alone and they say the ruling on the field stands halftime. I looked around, saw that I was safe. 
And if there's ever a moment that I'm glad that a camera was not on me, it was that moment. I just screamed at the top of my lungs. I said some things I was not proud of, uh, thinking I was alone and safe and that I could just let my emotions out and, you know, act like a child, even though I'm a 27 year old grown man. And immediately after my wife comes in and goes, we can hear you. And, (laughs) (laughs) and, oh my gosh, I laugh at it now, but it was not funny in that moment. Uh, but I'm, as far as the puka catch goes, I couldn't let myself get too high because I was just so ready to get let down. However, I'm kind of glad that it was reviewed so that we could get more looks at it because like that play deserves to be watched, you know, 50 times or however many times that they showed the replay on TV. Like it's one of the more impressive catches in BYU history uh, as, as far as I'm concerned. Um, but with that, let's segue into our overreactions. And I think that has to do with uh, Trevor's. Yeah. So this is, we're going to just keep right on topic here. I've, I've seen the discussion a couple of times on Twitter now, uh, but we're going to bring it on to the podcast as well. Puka's catch. I'm, I'm not saying situationally, because I think, I think if you add too much context into like the meaning of a game, you can make an argument for, for other catches in BYU history. But as far as just sheer effort, athleticism, and like overall degree of difficulty, is this the greatest catch in BYU history? No. I mean, like, in, in terms of a moment when you like when you needed a play, I can't think of a better one. Like Mitch Matthews, maybe, but that wasn't like. I mean, that just kind of dropped in his stomach and he pulled it in. Like the only catch I, the greatest catch I've ever seen in at BYU was Cody Hoffman's touchdown against Georgia Tech in 2013, where the the corner is like literally got him in a chokehold, uh, and. Cody Hoffman just like throws his hands out and the ball just sticks. Like that was Cody Hoffman had some of the craziest, most acrobatic catches I think I've ever seen at BYU. But in terms of like a moment when, you know, BYU's bull eligibility is on the line, Kalani's job might be on the line. uh, You know, BYU at that point is like what, two for 22 or something like that on fourth down since week one. Uh, and you 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 had to have it to make a bowl game this season, and to not catch it like having the corner draped all over you, clearly holding, clearly pi, uh, and to not catch it the first time and keep the concentration and have the wherewithal to get a toe down. Like I I agree, that's probably the the greatest catch I've ever seen. So I mean, are we talking about situations? or Are we not talking about like situations? Like I'm I'm like great. It's like it's like. Because let, let, let me take don't you, hate let, me for this, Hunter. Like it's <laughs> Tom Brady is the greatest, but he is not the best quarterback the NFL has ever seen. Well, Super Bowl is the greatest. Otherwise, Super Bowl. I know that, that, that's otherwise. that's why he, that's why he's the greatest, but he's not the most talented. Well, I mean, he owns all the rec- <laughs> he owns all the records, so it's okay. not like he's some scrub Anyways. game managing his way to seven Super Bowls. Right, right, right. Um, let me take you back to a date. Uh, it's n- not one that any of us were alive for, but it was December 19th. It was a night, night time on December 19th, just before Christmas, 1980. Uh, a young spry 
full of life. Jim McMahon heaves a football, the old pigskin. What was it? 50 yards into the air. And a one Clay Brown uh, comes down with it in the end zone. Yes, the That's miracle right. ball, the catch. Clay Brown's catch in the end zone, Miracle Bowl, is probably the greatest catch in BYU history. And that's, I think, taking into account, like, all the other factors. Joe talks about, like, bowl eligibility on the line. Here was BYU's first bowl win on the line and one of the most famous talked-about bowl games, non-BCS uh, college football playoff bowl games of all time, the Miracle Bowl, the uh, 1980 Holiday Bowl. So if I have to lean on what's the greatest BYU catch of all time, I think that's it. Physically, yeah, like this is probably one of the toughest ones, but I'd even lean towards saying Samson's catch against Boise State last year was probably physically a bit more difficult because he had to go up, over, and through the defender to get to the ball. Um, but obviously, I think this catch is bigger than that catch was just because the physicality and the toughness of it combined with the moment. But um, I think if you're talking about one or the other, like I think this is a good marriage of both situations of physically difficult plus a lot on the line so yeah no well said I do I do think we're obviously all prisoners of the moment right I think the further away we get from Saturday you know the more other options of great catches start coming to mind I do I do look at that catch and just like the like just I the iconic like the shoulder pads are out of the jersey entirely um batting the ball up essentially to himself and then pulling it back in it it just was one of those plays where like you know I don't and I don't want to add on another hot take to this but like it's just one of those plays where this this catch and this win I think is going to do more for the program than just have a W on on the stat sheet if that makes sense. Like, I just think there was so much writing on BYU snapping this four game losing skid and sending off Boise along with now Utah state and Utah as ending their rivalry games. And with Utah state and Boise state, their rivalry series with wins. I, I, I do. I think it's going to be a catch that echoes through history as one that kind of helped revamp what we've seen out of BYU um, level of difficulty was incredibly hard. I mean, the, the corner literally cheated, <laughs> like, like it should have been a penalty. Like he literally cheated and it didn't matter. Um, but as far as like, you know, Hunter, as you said, if you start adding in context, I mean, there's catches in the national championship game against Michigan that, you know, are probably situationally more important. Um, but that was, that was just one of the, the best catches I think I've ever seen. I mean, I have to respectfully disagree with you, Trevor, about this win changing anything. And I think this leads into someone else's overreaction. Um, yeah. I'm not sure I if mean, it's yours, Joe, if you want to give fine. it, but sure, go ahead. Yeah. So to, to piggyback off of what Trevor was saying, this win is mad. I, th I think this win was massive for the program. Like, I'm not going to say it's like the biggest win of independence. Like, I, it's not even the biggest win of this season. Uh, but I don't know, like the, the win changed, changes my outlook on the season, especially if BYU can win out and, you know, go eight and five, the, the season will be disappointing still given what, like given the opportunities that BYU had, but 
I don't know, like beating Boise on the blue just hits different for me. Um, and so now, again, especially if BYU can finish off strong and, you know, win their next three games, I'm going to look back on the season a lot more favorably uh, where, you know, we're, I mean, last week we were talking about, you know, Kalani potentially being on the hot seat. We were talking about BYU being a, you know, a doormat in the big 12 for, you know, the next forever. And it just like, I don't know. I, I feel like this win for me, it ends the conversation that we were having last week of does this season invalidate the last two where we can say like, okay, the talent is still there. This isn't like 2017 bad of a team. They just, they hit, they hit a rough patch like they did in you know, 2019 and they found a way they didn't quit and they, they got it done in a very difficult environment to win um, against a, a opponent. We all respect, we all know, uh, and we all just love to beat. So um, I don't know. I, I think this win has completely changed my outlook on how I'm going to view the season when it's all said and done. But what say you guys? Uh, I could not disagree more. This I mean, this is a fun win. Like it was a good win. I think it was just nice to get the monkey off the back. But this should not invalidate the fact that BYU gave up 50 points at home to Arkansas that they got blow, their doors blown off of them by Liberty and couldn't beat Eastern Carolina at home. Like those are still embarrassing losses. And I get that Liberty's better than most people gave them credit for Arkansas no schmuck, but like those are bad losses, especially in the way that they happen. Those are bad losses. Two of them being at home. This is still a BYU team that's going to make major changes across the board on the defensive staff and in defensive personnel and in players. This is still a BYU team that's going to have a steep learning curve when they get to the Big 12 because Boise State, like Boise State's not that good this year. Like early into the season, we were talking about Boise State potentially being the worst team on BYU's schedule. They couldn't even beat UTEP, but because they like went on to beat San Diego State and Air Force and Colorado State, like I can't change my tune just because they beat some, you know, mid-level below average Mountain West Conference teams. Like it's not, this is, they fired their coach, their court, starting quarterback entered the transfer portal. Like this is not some, this is not, you know, our high school aged Boise State team that was going 12 and one, 11 and two every single season. Well, no, like I, I hear that, but it's also like, Boise State's defense was number two nationally coming into the game. And granted, I know that like the schedule that Boise had played and that they were probably a paper tiger as far as the defense goes, but like it still takes talent and it still takes ability to be able to put up, you know, to, to become the second, you know, rated defense in the country in terms of yards per game. And BYU put up 532 yards of offense against them. Granted, like they couldn't, they still couldn't convert on a fourth and short which probably would have, which made the game closer than it really was. But I don't but, know, like if, but one for game me, of one game of the BYU offense living up to expectations shouldn't overwrite well, it, the five it games in which they failed miserably to meet expectations. It, it doesn't overwrite it. But last week we were talking about this being a more disappointing season than 2017. And like, sure. but because I, the Hawaii win at the end of 2017, do anything to make you feel better about that season? Well, no, but Boise's a much better team than that Hawaii team was. Like, it's still I don't Boise think by State. much. I don't think by I, much. Uh, 
What was what was Hawaii's record that year? They were four and nine. Boise Hunter. State's. They're this is a three. mid. This is a mid-level, below-average Boise State. Boise State. They're going to win the. They're going to win the Mountain West. The Mountain West is terrible. Why I know. I know it's terrible. Why are we pretending that the Mountain West? Why are we pretending that the Mountain West is anywhere near the level of competition that BYU is going to be facing the Big Twelve? Like this doesn't do oh, anything no, 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 to no, make no, no. me feel I, better about BYU going into the Big Twelve. I'm I still not, feel like. BYU, even after they beat Boise State, if you look at the Big 12, how many teams could you confidently say that BYU is better than in the Big 12 right now? Oh, I I would say BYU would probably be 10th in the Big 12 this year. And so how does the Boise State game change anything like that? Like, that's still the doormat of the Big 12. Like, there's still going to have to be major changes. Like, we're not suddenly saying, oh, because BYU held Boise State to, you know, whatever it was, 28 points, that now you know, hey, keep Tuiaki and keep Ed Lamb and no, we're good with no. the personnel. Like, no, it doesn't change anything. Like, it makes you well, feel better as a fan, but it doesn't cha- It doesn't make any concrete changes for how we should view this BYU team. It's still a team uh, that failed to live up expectations, that got embarrassed at home by Arkansas, got embarrassed on the road by Liberty, couldn't beat Eastern Carolina of all teams. Like, if we can't beat Eastern Carolina at home, like a road win against Boise State doesn't change anything in my mind, other than the fact that I, at that as a fan, I'm happy they won. Answer me this: the old one, I'm I'm talking about like feeling as a fan, like what you said, like it makes you feel better as a fan. That's what I mean. But like last week, you last week you said that this was a worse team or like a we a worse season than 2017. After yes. this week, do you do you still feel that way? Yes. Why? Because this is a team that couldn't beat Eastern Carolina at home. Like we were talking about when BYU BYU beat USF by 50 and they turn around and beat Baylor. Like we were talking about New Year's Six Bowl for BYU. And then we've caught, and two months later, we're losing at home to East Carolina and losing four straight. Like that's a worse season than 2017 where the expectations were mute. Like there was no expectation. I didn't, no one cared what happened to BYU because we didn't expect them to be winning very much. This year, you return everybody, everyone other than Tyler Algier and Samson Nakua, and you couldn't beat Eastern Carolina at home, and you went on the road and got boat raced by Liberty. Well, you're, you keep bringing up Eastern Carolina, but Eastern Carolina beat a ranked U at UCF by 21 points. Like this, it's, it's not like that's you're, it's you're, G5 you're looking, football. I know you're looking at the name on the side of the helmet, though, and not like EC, ECU is a good football team. Like I'm not saying and BYU is a better a, football team. No, and I they know, couldn't but beat like, them. And they couldn't beat that. But again, BYU was in dire straits. Like, I'm not saying that, I don't know. Like, if if BYU goes eight and five at the end of the season, are you like, is it still going to, is it still going to be worse than 2017? Um, It depends on what happens in the bowl game, I guess. Yeah. If they win the bowl game, game. if they, if they finish, who did they play? What bowl game do they go to? Do they they go to the Frisco Bowl and do they play Texas A&M and do they beat Texas A&M? Yes, that makes me feel better than 2017. If they go to the, you know, Shreveport, Louisiana again and play some Sunbelt Conference USA team and they scrape out a win, no, that does not make me feel better. Trevor, Like it's all, like that's theoretical. Like, but as it stands right now, like this Boise win is fun because it's a win and we enjoy wins but it doesn't change the season as a whole. Trevor. Here's okay. So 
I've written down some numbers, and these numbers are what give me hope. I I don't think that this season. I'm kind of. I found myself. I think between you, Joe, and and you, Hunter, in this. Like, do I think that the season is magically sunshine and rainbows? Not saying that you think that, Joe, but like, no, I don't. I I also look at this win, and it's amazing how how much better I feel just in general to have to have got that win. And I and I don't think I don't think if we traded this law this win for a different team outside of like I don't know maybe Notre Dame I don't know if any of the other wins make me feel any better like if we lose to if we beat Liberty but lose to Boise like I think I'm still sad but it's the yeah. fact that we beat Boise at Boise and along and along with this I'll, I'll let you get to this in a second Hunter but this is total yards given up in the last five weeks so 500 Yep. The, ne- the next week, 644. Yep. 550. Yep. 430. Yep. And then against Boise, 324. But this Boise State offense is not like, <laughs> you forget the conversations we were having but this the year when they're like, this Boise State offense no, is I, terrible. But this de- I, but the I defense remember, has been but... egregiously bad. Yeah, they like, got like, better. Yes, like, like, they got the better. Worst in the country. Fine. And if so I, like... if I told you before the season, let's go back to august whatever it was okay let's go back to september 2nd a friday and i said okay guys you're gonna lose by three scores to oregon you're gonna scrape out wins against wyoming and utah state you're gonna lose to a average notre dame team you're gonna give up 50 to arkansas at home you're gonna get blown out by liberty on the road and you're gonna lose to ecu at home but you'll beat boise state what would you, what, like, how would you react to that season? Well, Before any of this happened. My knee-jerk like, reaction is that, well, at least we got Boise. Maybe, maybe I'm just that heavy like, in Boise State. I, but like. You're putting too, you're putting too much State. stock I can't stand the, Boise. Oh, I sure, can't stand Boise Sure, State. but that doesn't change the season as a whole. No, that no. And, and I, and I believe I started my, my spiel here by saying that it doesn't make the, like the season's not magically fixed, but like. We've talked about Kalani taking over the defense, right? And we've talked about the changes that we're going to make in the offseason. Yeah. Like, watching the number drop, regardless of the offense, because, like, frankly, it didn't matter what string quarterback was playing. We had a four-string quarterback absolutely light us up against against Liberty. So, regardless of how good or bad Boise's offense was, BYU's defense has been that bad. Like to see changes, to see us hold a team under 400 yards and to feel like we actually were competitive and we were making plays, it at least shows me that if you change and you fix the scheme, that we do have some players that can go out and make some plays. And we have players coming in from the portal and we have players coming off of redshirt seasons as freshmen that are going to come make these plays. And and that does make me feel better. I don't think it fixes the season, but as far as like going into the Big 12, I do feel a little bit better about that. I don't think I'm good, like we're going to be like crazy competitive, but I think the defense is at least heading in a good like direction, which in the last four weeks was not something we could say. So I I do yes, like this win does it's, make do me you, feel better. <laughs> does this does this it's, win give you any kind of hope that you didn't have last week? 
Um, it, get, it increases my hope for a bowl game because now all you have to do is beat Utah Tech. But like the future, like going no. forward. No. Why? Just, Why would it? Why would it? What player from the defense because do you look be- at and say, okay, now I'm convinced he can help us in the big, win in the Big 12? Well, because last week we were talking Off- about how BYU may never win a football game ever again. And now it's like... We weren't realistic. Like, we, <laughs> I, like we were throwing it out there, but mo- 99% of fans weren't calling for Kalani's job. They weren't thinking that BYU was going to go winless for the next five years. Like, let's get back to reality. And what the like the reality of it was, was that this is a BYU team that needs new defensive coaches across the board. It needs new players across the board and on defense. And I don't think the Boise game changes much. Like, you still need an entire new defensive coaching staff. No, Just I, you beat I, Boise doesn't change that. Offensively, Puka's going to go to the NFL. Gunner's probably moving on. We'll see about Jaron, but I feel like he should probably move on. Lupini's gone. Chris Brooks well, is gone. I, like, and offensively, I that, all like, the guys who helped you beat Boise State are gone after this year. So that shouldn't and, change anything moving forward in the future. And defensively, there was no one where I thought, okay, well, I was a bit iffy on him before this, or during the season or the last couple of weeks about bringing him into the Big 12. Aside from Micah Harper, he was the only one where I thought, okay, yeah, he can help us win in the Big 12. And I don't feel that way about anyone after the game. But it's not so much like, and I, and I hear you as far as, I, I don't think there was anyone coming out of the Boise State game that all of a sudden I now feel like, that dude, that guy is going to be a dude. But to, to Trevor's point, it gives me hope that with the simple scheme change, like when you bring in the new defensive staff, when you bring in the new position coaches, like that it won't always look like the Arkansas game week in, week out. Like it, there, there is. I can't say that for a surety because the new coaching staff wasn't on the field against Boise State. Like, I don't know what their defense is going to look like. I don't know what players we're going to have on the defense. I know. Moving forward. But again, last and, week, I I thought, or like, especially after the Arkansas game, I was thinking that because of the, the players that we have on the team, that there is no scheme that can fix it. That no matter what, no matter what coaches we bring in, BYU's defense is still going to struggle because they just don't have the players. And I think the this week, and really the la- like the, the improvement that's been made over the last three weeks has shown us that, okay, if you bring in the right scheme, if you run the right stuff, BYU still has guys that can make those plays. So it's just, I don't know. I, I just don't feel as hopeless as I did a week ago. Uh, and I, in large measure, because all of a sudden, like, BYU is being aggressive on defense again. They weren't having linebackers sit at seven yards waiting for the running back to get to them. They were getting upfield, and all of a sudden they're making tackles for loss. Like, this this BYU team, like, there's still guys – it still has guys. I, I I don't know. I think it's possible for, like, the way that I judge that four-game losing streak right now is that the team just lost confidence. They – lost faith in their coaching staff. The the coaching staff lost faith in each other. And now I can, like, I feel, I don't know. It's probably an overreaction, but like, I'm willing, I'm more willing this week to chalk that up to, it was a really, really rough stretch and changes obviously still need to be made, but this team is not bereft of talent or ability. Like I thought last week. It just feels like, like there are still 1 trillion percent holes in the defense that we have to fill 
It just totally, yeah, totally. after after this week, it just feels like the holes are just a tad smaller, and and like for, for me, it's a little bit relieving, <laughs> like like that that we can at least fix some of the holes. Like yes, like every team has to go to the transfer portal and has to replace players going to the NFL or moving on or like whatever it is. But if you have a scheme or at least coaches that will go out and recruit to bring in and mesh with the people that are already here and you give them a scheme that's going to allow them to be successful, I do think we have enough guys to make it work. And I think, and that's, that's what I've, Glean from this uh, last game, and, and to be clear, BYU is going to have a losing record this year or next year. Sorry, like yeah. they're they're not like I'm not saying that like all of a sudden BYU is going to win the Big Twelve because of what we saw against Boise. Like they're still going to really really struggle next year as they go into the Big Twelve. But as far as like this season is concerned, you know, I mean, we 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 all predicted it before the Boise game. We all thought Boise was probably going to win by two scores at least. And BYU came out and they won the game. So I like clearly our expectations, like they exceeded our expectations, at least for last week, we thought this, you know, this, this BYU football team was awful and was going to finish five and seven. That's clearly not the case anymore. I like now, like as of last week, I thought BYU is going to finish five and seven. Now I'm thinking seven and five, eight and five with the bull, depending on who they play. Here's the last thing I'll say. Yardage-wise and points-wise, Boise State pretty much met their averages against BYU, which, credit to the BYU defense, is a big step forward from how they were playing beforehand. But that means that that BYU defense that took a step forward due to schematical changes is on par with the New Mexico defense, the UTEP defense, the San Diego State defense, the Fresno State defense, the Air Force defense, the Colorado State. Well, maybe not Colorado State because they gave up 49 to Boise, but the Oregon State defense, like BYU defense, an improved BYU defense is on par with those teams. That's still not good enough to be competitive well, in the Big 12. But let's, I mean, let's look at what they did specifically in their four-game win streak, though. San Diego State's got a decent defense. They put up 35 on them. Fresno State mm-hmm. is a solid football team that, mm-hmm. like, I mean, they're, they're not amazing, but Boise they're, beat them by they were one. They were one and four when Boise State played them. They had oh, a lot of hype really? coming into the year. They're bad. They're very bad. Well, they're five and four now. Because they've rattled Regardless. off wins against San Diego State, Hawaii, and New Mexico. Regardless. Like, it's not like this this Boise team isn't the same Boise team that lost 27 to 10 at Utah. No. They're a much better team than that. No, but this is not like I think we're still looking at Boise State a little bit through the lens of the tw- 2010s Boise State. That was going to row Fiesta Bowls against TCU and was beating Oklahoma and you know with the Statue of Liberty. Like this is like oh, f- in comparative to the Boise State teams of years past. Like this is a bad Boise State team for sure. But we're also looking at Liberty, like the Liberty team that you know just got boosted from the FCS like a couple of years ago. Like there, yeah. there's always going to be some level of like brand bias. Of course, yeah. But, but like, I still don't think that's an excuse to go on the road and lose by 40 to Liberty. Like, of course better. not. Of course not. Of it's course the not. Man. Like, like if BYU would have lost 31-28, like I don't, we, we wouldn't be as up in arms about it. It was the fact that they got run off the field against Liberty. Right. 
But like the the vibe that I get from the team right now, like it's clear to me that after like after this week at Boise State, because BYU went into a very difficult place and won against like I, I'm not sure Boise is as good as Liberty, but like no, not I, Liberty would beat him by three scores. I yes, I oh, hundred percent, hundred percent. Depends on where it is. Liberty still doesn't neutral Boise field. St- Neutral field. Boise State would Liberty, hold. If, B, if Boise State and Liberty play in a bowl game, Liberty beats them by three scores. I'm not sure. I'm not sure Liberty gets four scores against Boise State. Scores four times? Dude, Liberty's offense is still horrible. Like BYU, And they I scored know, 41 against BYU. I know, I know, like, I know, <laughs> I know, because that was an awful, awful, awful day for the BYU defense. But like, we nah, saw this. Good. I think it'd be like 27 to 10. <sighs> That's three scores. What'd be the line? The line would be at least like, it would be a double digit line for Liberty. No, it'd be seven points. Max. Yeah, I disagree. I disagree. I'd hammer, I'd hammer Liberty if that's the case. (laughs) I'd put my life savings on Liberty if it was minus seven. All right, Hunter, do we dare hear your hot take? Uh, Yeah, I'm going to change my tune a bit. Uh, Puka Naku is the most physically talented wide receiver in BYU history. Yeah, I mean, other than Austin Collie, who's the case? But I think physically, Puka's better than Austin. I I think he is too. I th- I mean, he's bigger. Um, he's just as fast, if not faster. the The hands, obviously, I think that's a wash. But I I think I think personally, Austin Collie had better hands than Puka. Uh, but in terms of athleticism, like get him the ball at any any point in time, and he's gonna make something positive happen. Like Puka is is definitely the best, which is a shame that his numbers won't reflect that. Uh, do you think he goes to the NFL after this year? I do. Yeah, I do. I think he should. What? Um, don't 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 risk it with what, whoever's playing what quarterback round? for BYU next year. Ah, third I don't round. know. I, oh, I mean, if he goes third round, that's amazing, right? Like, I mean, that'd be the highest drafted BYU receiver ever. Austin was like fourth round. Austin's yeah, he was fourth. fourth. Watkins was seventh or some, fifth or something yeah, like that. Yeah, Dax was seventh. Dax was almost Mr. Irrelevant. <laughs> yeah, second to last pick. No, I, I, I don't know. I was looking up stuff. It's hard to, I mean, it's hard to find. It's hard to find information about this stuff, right? Like. Uh, I've been looking up mock drafts all week to see if like I could figure out where Puka would be. The ones that I saw, they projected him to be like, in some cases, a uh, undrafted free agent, which I can't imagine. Like that's got to be some like random NFL blogger because it's so clear on, like it's just it's so clear that he's the best receiver on the field whenever he's out there, no matter who BYU is playing against. But like, who who would be his player comp in the NFL? Because you guys know the NFL way better than me. I don't know. It's tough. I'm I'm bad at player comps. I like. I'm not sure he's a game breaker. Like, I'm not sure that he's going to be a guy who will like take the top off the defense. But I don't know. He's just got like that gamer quality that. Oh, I want to say now. Correct me if I'm wrong, but like size wise, speed wise, hand wise. He's kind of an Alan Lazard. I could see like, that comp. Like he like Alan Lazard shouldn't be the Packers wide receiver one. But like as a wide receiver two, he's he's plenty good. 
Um, uh, and I, th- I feel like Puka could fit that role very well. NFL Draft Scout, which is kind of what I use to gauge where players stand, has him as the 25th wide receiver, um, kind of in his class, which would put him anywhere between like the fourth to sixth round, closer to kind of five and six. Yeah, depending on honest. depending on how many wide receivers get selected. Uh, this last year, twenty the twenty fifth best receiver went in the late fifth. I I think I think as long as like he's draftable, I think he should go. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I mean know it's that. it's like similar to Dax, right? Like Dax could have come back to BYU, but then you're running your risk of well, how do I look when Zach Wilson's not my quarterback? Oh, and like with injuries and and Puka's injury yeah. history in particular, well, like. Well, I'm thinking strike. more of: Do you want to risk it to see like if Jaron Hall's not the one throwing you passes? Like, is it <laughs> is it Jake? Like, are you going to risk your draft stock on the fact of the quarterback being Jacob Conover, Cade Finnegan, or a transfer portal guy? Like, are you really willing to like stake your NFL draft stock on one of those quarterbacks? And to me, I'd say no. I'd say go, no. to, that, go to the D- league. Depends on the portal guy. I mean, if we get the dude from you'd have, yeah, you'd have to get him early, and you'd have to be convinced that he's going to be a dude, right? right? Like if you get a Jackson Dart in the portal, oh, then I think totally. Puka could maybe be like, yeah, maybe I'll stick around one more year and try to improve my stock. But if it's like anything lower than that, that's not like kind of a proven guy, go leave get out of here side sidebar would you rather have have you guys watched the highlight like deacon hill any tape of him um that's a wisconsin kid right yeah i've seen a little bit yeah for those who don't know deacon hill is a wisconsin quarterback uh former four-star kid who's transferring from wisconsin um he's been a name that's been floated as someone to keep an eye on uh he's like i think he's like six five two fifty or something like that like big old boy He's a big dude. And it's not like a Cam Newton big. It's like a Jerry this Lorenzen. Dude, yeah. Who, like, who is, the, like, is that a Kentucky guy? Yeah. He was the Kentucky guy. Uh, that's kind of what he looks like. But I mean, he's definitely got talent. Who would you rather have him or Hank Bachmeyer? Well, Hank Bachmeyer plays way better defense. So <laughs> here's the thing is I would say Deacon Hill, except uh, Jeff uh, has kind of convinced me that maybe Hank is better solely just because of the fact of look what Bo Nix did with a change of scenery. Like here was a guy who had, who had shown flashes at his previous school and then just, it wasn't working and a change of scenery has turned Bo Nix into a Heisman contender. So So like Hank Bachmeyer, we've seen the flashes and then for whatever reason, it just wasn't working out of Boise state where maybe a trip to Provo can, we can get more of those consistent flashes that we saw early on when he was a freshman at Boise. So, and that's, you know, over a guy who's, you know, never even sniffed the field for Wisconsin. He Okay. So is, is Hank Bachmeyer another name? Yeah. Am, yes. I, am I behind on this? Okay. Yes. It was one that was floated out a couple months ago. Like when he first entered the portal, I think. Interesting. We're so I get... would say like, I, cause I'm, I mean, ideally it's a one year rental, right? Cause yeah. fingers crossed if we're really lucky we get Isaac Wilson. And so I don't know if I'd want to go with the unproven guy who's never played and is still has a lot of eligibility left over a guy like Hank Bachmeyer, where it's like, come in for one year, 
see what happens. And if it doesn't work, then we'll see you later. Kind of like Charlie Brewer was at Utah, right? Like you had rising, but then you brought in Brewer. But with Brewer, there was no risk of, well, if he's bad, now he's taking up a roster spot for three years. Right. Whereas I think Bachmeyer, if he comes in and he's not that good and it just doesn't work out for whatever reason, it's not like it's like, well, we're kind of we're carrying him on the roster for the next couple of years unless he transfers like he'd just be done after the year. So, yeah, I, I think probably one of the more ridiculous poll questions I've ever seen uh, from Ben Criddle, not not that it's Ben Criddle's fault, but he asked if he like posted the the depth chart projected depth chart going into next season. And ask the question, should BYU dip into the transfer portal? And 40% of people in that poll said, no, BYU should not be looking for a transfer quarterback. Which Those are the people that are like, no, Jacob Conover, he had an offer to Alabama. Guys, I love Jacob Conover as a human being. I've met him a couple of times. And Great he minivan. is salt of the earth, like one of the greatest people you will ever meet. Great hair. But regardless of how talented he may be, it is clear that the BYU coaching staff does not see it. So He's I, I, won't make, I, I won't make the judgment because I haven't seen him really play as to whether or not he's it. But the BYU coaches He's not. thought – BYU coaches thought a one-armed Jaron Hall was better than Jacob Conover against Notre Dame. Which honestly, I would I would agree. Like, I understand why the coaches made that decision, but it kind of is telling that last year Jaron like had minor injuries and coaches like would pull him for Baylor Romney. That Jaron has been significantly hurt this season, and we haven't seen a snap of Jacob Conover all year, including yeah, in rollouts. Yeah, I mean, we had Jaron Hall dealing with like a rib injury, and we sat him for multiple weeks. And yeah. now here he is with one with a separated shoulder, and they're like, "Now we need you to be out there slinging the rock." Like, what's the saying? Like, people will show you who they are, who they are, or what they believe with their actions, not their words. And as much as the coaching staff may talk about how cool Conover is and how he works hard or how he lit it up as the scout team quarterback, the fact of the matter is, is that at the end of a Utah State game when Jaron was hurt, they did not put in Conover. At the end of a blowout against Liberty, they did not put in Conover. And that tells me all I need to know kind of about what their outlook on the quarterback room is. And and quite frankly, I think whether or not Jaron goes pro, like whether he comes back or not, I think Conover's transferring. Like I and that's I not something that yeah, and that's not something that should like surprise us or we should be upset about. Like it's I think it's clear the kid needs a change of scenery. Uh, he's about to get engaged to a, a girl who plays for the BYU soccer team, who I also think is probably going to transfer. So it's like, it just, it makes sense for him to go. So not only do I think BYU needs to get one quarterback from the transfer portal, they probably need to get two or else we're looking at Cade Fennigan and Soljay Mayava Peters being the backup quarterbacks next season. <laughs> but who cares? I mean, first year in the big 12, like you said it, I think regardless of who the quarterback is, unless we get, you know, CJ Stroud or DJ Uyunglele, like BYU is probably not going to have a winning record in the Big 12 next year. So does it really Do matter? Do we... 
I DJ like guy. <laughs> so, so like, it's not going to matter. I don't think it's going to matter who the quarterback is. Like, I'm not going to be like glued to my phone with bated breath waiting for quarterback transfer portal news, just because I don't think it's going to be the difference between a big 12 championship and a losing season. Like, I think regardless BYU ceiling next year is probably like seven and five, six and six. Regardless, so, regardless. so that's the, so that's my, that's my up. This might be an off season question uh, when we know more about the roster. And I know we just had a big argument about how BYU was going to look next year, but like, <laughs> what is your over under for wins in the big 12 next season? I'd set it at five and a half. Yeah. Six and a half. I know I was in like in conference play. Oh, how many conference games do they play? Nine. Nine. Uh, three and a half. I I might set it at two and a half. Four. Like, I have and a half. I mean, it depends on I who they you, end Trevor. up getting. I right? really do. It like it just like, and that pains me so bad to say. Like next year, I am anticipating like a jazz level rebuilding year. But I mean, that's a. Horrible I hope we get that, the jazz. That means more than <laughs> I hope we get the jazz rebuild. Yeah. But like, I'm ex- like my jazz. my expect my expectations for BYU next season are about as high as my jazz expectations were coming into the year. So <laughs> or your like, BYU be- basketball expectations are. But now because after. but because my expectations are on the floor, like if they win three games in the Big Twelve next year, I am going to be ecstatic, because the Big Twelve is going to be pretty darn good because it's so deep, like any win in the big 12 is going to be a quality win. Yeah. I think it depends on who you draw in the schedule, right? Like, I think you could beat Houston. We'll see how Kansas looks. If they take a step. I forgot. I forgot the new teams are coming in. If so. they take a step back, I mean, Cincinnati and UCF, I think are probably better as it stands right this second. Um, I mean, you beat Baylor this year, so I, I guess you could potentially beat Baylor next year. Um, yeah, I mean, that's probably who I'd be confident in at this very moment. Like TCU's undefeated in the playoffs right now. Texas says Quinn Ewers. He's, it's going to be his second year. Oklahoma, you know, it'll be second year under Brent Venables. They should be better. Texas Tech is looking good. Kansas State. Kansas State looks awesome. Kansas is obviously <laughs> taking a huge step forward. You know, it's just. We could maybe get Oklahoma. Oh. Oklahoma State, they've looked bad the last two weeks, but they were still top 10 for majority of the year. Like, I, yeah, I'd, I'd probably say three and a half just because I think, you know, BYU could get a couple at home. And then I think, it, you know, depending on what the draw is, but I'd, yeah, four and a half is too high. Two and a half, three and a half, I think is probably right. I like it. Makes sense. You guys, uh, not to, sorry, not to bring it back too much, but I decided to look at, Alan Lazard, like his like physical, he's too big. He's six five. Yeah, he's six five. <laughs> no, but but you want to but you want to know who actually I stumbled upon that like is literally pound for pound looks like Puka and actually kind of plays like him too. Corey Davis. I mean, Corey Davis has been pretty bad in the NFL, hasn't he? Uh, the, I mean, the last couple of years outside of his injuries, he's actually he's been okay. I mean, and that's <laughs> and that's not to say like like oh like how big is Robert Woods? Corey Puka has better hands than Corey Davis. Oh, def- well, he has better hands than the entire Jets wide receiver core, but you know, other than Garrett Wilson, <laughs> that's fair, actually. That's yeah, true. what's but yeah, yeah. Well, look up Robert Woods' measurables. I wonder yeah. how similar that is because he might be one. 
because they used Robert Woods, I think, in Buffalo a little bit in the run game and when he was with the Rams, kind of as like a Debo Samuel light. Um, John do quick view basketball. He's bigger. I was going to say. He's two inches taller and 10 pounds heavier than Robert Woods. All right, well. Wait, Robert Woods is six foot? Six foot, 195. Interesting. No, he's All on right, the smaller well, end. I didn't think he was that small. Speaking of uh, sinking feelings going into the Big 12, What's your over-under for BYU basketball wins the first season in the Big 12? And will BYU football get more? I need to see the total, like how the season goes before I... So, okay. If I'm going uh, based I... off of just the Idaho State game, I think they win zero <laughs> games. In the Big 12. So, for those of you who watched the Idaho State game first, I'm sorry. Second... Uh, if you didn't, congratulations. I felt... I feel be- I feel better now that we're two days removed from it. Like we'll see what happens tomorrow against San Diego State, but I feel opening bad. night opening night can be weird. I don't think BYU is going to be that horrible at shooting. Like, and, and not, it wasn't just like three point shooting. It was like in the paint. Like Fusini Traore uh, is, is usually money, but he couldn't like him and Gideon couldn't make you know their their five foot floater. Uh, it was coming up short every single time. So like, and it wasn't like BYU was way off. Like we saw Caleb Lohner be a couple times last season. It was like shots were off by like a couple of inches and they missed. So I don't know. I'm not like, I I'm not as panicky about this BYU team this year. Talk to me in a couple of weeks, but as of now, I'm willing to chalk that up to weird opening night. Like, 14th ranked TCU won by one point to a team I think that's worse than Idaho State. I mean, USC lost to Florida Gulf Coast at home by 13 points. Oklahoma, yeah, Louisville, lost. Like, Louisville lost to some whack. I'm just like I've never I'm, heard of. I'm I'm just happy that like John Rothstein is one of my favorite Twitter accounts. Like, and one of my favorite bits that he does is so and so loses a bye game to so-and-so the epitome of brutality like i could handle losing to san diego state by 30 and finishing sub 500 in wcc play i cannot handle being on the receiving end of one of those john rothstein tweets so thank you spencer johnson for having ice water in your veins to be able to hit that shot yeah i mean that's the silver lining right is like week one is always a little weird like you there's always schools being upset and so the fact that BYU is able to escape that is good. And we'll see how they look tomorrow night against San Diego State. When you look at the box score, have you guys looked at the box score for BYU-Idaho State? It's no. bad. It's bad. Well, dude, had, how many turnovers was it? 23 turnovers. They had 23 see, turnovers it's... and they had 22 made baskets. They had more turnovers than made baskets for the entirety of a 40-minute basketball game. And see, that's what scares me more than anything. Like a bad shooting night, like those can be an anomaly. But so far we've seen BYU play Idaho State, a D2 school, and themselves. And in every single one of those, BYU could not stop turning the basketball over. BYU. So like, Sorry, go ahead. So like, I, I love the new offense of like, you know, getting up and down the floor. Uh, and it's not like BYU uh, was – what's gived less liberally last year than they do this year. Like last year, the, the BYU really struggled with turnovers too, but like, my gosh, uh, Rudy Williams, man, like Gideon George as well. Hang on to the ball, like stop trying to make the highlight pass 
and squeeze it into such a tight window that you're turning it over like 15 you, times. You can't be a point guard and turn the ball over like that. Like it's just here. Here's some other. But ones. Dallin Hall, Dallin Hall is a bright spot. I True. thought he played well. Well, so speaking of, you had two players who had multiple assists. Two, Fusine Triori, which your starting center was your second leading assist uh, maker, and then your backup point guard freshman making his regular season debut, Dallin Hall. Those are the only two players on the roster who had multiple assists. You oh. had. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say while you're looking that up, shout out to Sporty because he had a take that I agree with. I think Dallin Hall is this year's Foos. From I think Dallin Hall should be starting. He was the only player who was looking yeah. to pass the ball. Yeah, well, I think you so. Had, I think it was him and Jackson Robinson were the only two players without a turnover. Um, yes. Yeah, Jackson Robinson if, did not have a turnover, and Dallin you Hall did not a have prediction. a turnover. You had five. You had five players with multiple turnovers compared to two barring, with multiple assists. Barring health, the starting lineup for the final game of the season is going to be Dallin Hall, Jackson Robinson, Spencer Johnson, Foose, and Atiki. Foose also had six Oh, maybe – no, sorry. Sw- swap a tiki for Noah Waterman. I think Noah Waterman's going to slip in. Yeah. Um, you shot t- less than 20% from three. Jeez. You had 10 second chance points, which for a team that has Foose grabbing all the offensive boards and you're playing Idaho State, like you should have more than 10 second chance points. Well, the effort on the offensive boards was horrible. I'm not sure if that was by design or not. Like, I know that uh, Idaho State wanted to run as well. So when the shot went up, BYU was already turning back down the floor. But, I mean, it was very much like how many offensive rebounds did they have? 13. So you scored on – I don't – How many shots – sorry, how many shots did BYU have? How many shot attempts did they have? They shot 22 for 59. So they have 59 – so you had 37 opportunities to get an offensive rebound and you had 13 offensive rebounds. So 13 for know. 37. I don't know. I don't know enough about basketball to know if that's any good, but it doesn't sound good. I mean, it's more so the fact that you had 13 offensive rebounds but only 10 second chance points. Like you could only you couldn't even capitalize on the majority of your offensive rebounds, which in college a lot of the and with Foose, a lot of those should be easy put back layups. In my yeah. opinion. I'm just glad Rick we don't Wall have the elite. Turned it, over, turned it over. <laughs> turned it over. Turned it over. Thirty percent of the time. So one out of every like three possessions See, that, resulted in a turnover. That's horrible. I, it was like every possession was either a miss shot, a turnover, or a foul. You trailed Idaho State for sixteen minutes on Monday night. <laughs> I'm. I was glad. It was bad. Anyways, do you want to do you want to give us your guess who? Since I don't want to. Last week we gave you yeah, guys an Trevor, hour did you 30 minute podcast and I think to that's it? too much. Yeah, I was just going to say, I am glad that we don't have to go back-to-back years of losing to a former BYU player. That is nice. Does BYU play UVU this year in hoops? I think so. Yes, but I don't. But Connor Harding's not on the team anymore. He's not, but Blaze Neal is. Oh. Do we, don't, we play Utah? Because they got yes, Kevin Baxter. So, All right. Since there's so many new faces on this BYU team, let's do some get to know you's, guess who's. So I'll give you a fact about this player. Um, and you can pull it up. You could pull up the roster page if you want, just so you have names, but do um, not <laughs> click on don't click on any player profiles. Because okay. some of these some of these facts came from their player profiles. Uh, first one, this player appeared on the cover of Slam magazine, which if you didn't know is a popular basketball uh, kind oh, of like sports illustrated magazine. Brennan Moore. Braden Moore. Braden Moore, yeah. sorry. And yes, <laughs> he and his whole team from Donda Academy appeared on the cover of Slam Magazine. 
so it wasn't just he himself and kanye west disavow um this player averaged 34 points and 13 rebounds as a high school senior so straight bucket getter and rebound getter jackson no dallin hall do you have a guess Trevor? uh atiki noah waterman Ah. Uh, this player's aunt is an assistant coach in the WNBA, I think for the Phoenix Mercury. So he Rudy comes Williams. A, he comes from a basketball family. Rudy Williams. Trevor, yeah, I'll, say, I'll say Rudy too. Jackson Robinson. Oh, I knew it. I knew it. You guys are one for three. Uh <laughs> BYU, Still a better percentage than BYU from three. You're so. turning it over as much as... <laughs> uh, this player, BYU is the fourth school for this player during their college uh, career. So fourth stop is Provo, Utah. That's the transfer portal in college basketball, baby. I know this is Jackson Robinson's third stop. Is this one Rudy Williams? Trevor says Rudy Williams. Joe, what say you? I'm going to say Rudy. It is Rudy Williams. Fourth stop. Coastal Carolina is obviously the most recent. First one, I think, was a junior college, though. Um, I'm going to skip this. I don't know. I'd have to go back and look at it. Um, I'm going to skip this one, use it as last because it's hilarious. Uh, This player speaks three languages. Foos. It's It's either Foos or Tiki. How Dong from China. <laughs> Three languages. How can I forget How Dong? He was like the, the Twitter meme. He was like the Twitter famous for a day because of all of our uh, oh, yeah. attempts at humor. Hasn't suited up yet, but when he does, wow. He sure knows, Dong sure knows how to penetrate. That's for yep. darn sure. Uh, this player's father-in-law is former BYU running back Jamal Willis. You said father-in-law? Father-in-law. So he's married to Jamal Willis's daughter. Which players on the team are married? I don't know all of them. <laughs> it's BYU basketball. <laughs> I know, but it's this is not your grandparents' BYU basketball team. <laughs> it's not It's not Trevin Nell, is it? I'm going to say Spencer Johnson. Traden Christensen. Mm. I have no idea who that is. <laughs> Shout out to Traden. And I hope I'm not butchering your name. All right, this one's my favorite, so I saved it for last. Uh, this player runs. <laughs> it's so funny. The, this player runs a duck feeding business at Gardner Village. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. It's so BYU. It's, it's so uh, a duck BYU. feeding village. Yes, a, a duck feeding business at Gardner a duck Village. Duck feeding business. Which, if you don't know Gardner Village, it's like uh, in kind of West Salt Lake Valley a little bit. Um, it's very popular among Halloween time. A bunch of women like to go there and dress up as witches. They Give have like me Spencer big... Johnson. Tanner Hayhurst. This player, Richie Saunders. Oh! <laughs> runs a duck feeding business at Gardner Village. I just saw Eagle Idaho and I was like, that, what guy, a feeds guy, that guy feeds ducks. <laughs> what a legend. And that's your BYU basketball team this year. I didn't want to do like a lot of players that like uh, got big time minutes last year. The fun here's, um, the, you, here's the ironic thing is I pulled up the ESPN roster 
because like I was actually I've really been looking forward to this. So bravo, Hunter. Um, but I have all these facts, but like half of the team doesn't even have like actual profile faces. And so I know now that Richie, well, I know, okay, I know who Richie Saunders is, but like how Dong, I don't know what he looks like. I know some stuff about him. Oh, man. Yeah. It's like, it's like I know more about them except for what they look like. This, this has to be like of every BYU basketball team I've ever, like since, since I started following BYU sports in like 2005, this is probably the team that I know least about. And that includes the teams that were, were, I, that were going when I was on my mission. Yeah. I don't, I don't, yeah. I don't know half of half of these players. Uh, that's because they lost everyone who played last year. Um, I tallied all these numbers, so I'm just going to say them because I did like an hour worth of math. Not really, but um, I want to be able to at least say them and use them. Mm-hmm. So you guys mentioned not knowing anyone. It's because everyone's gone. Like literally everyone is gone. Uh, BYU returning scoring. They returned 43% of their scoring from last season. Uh, top two scorers are gone. Assists. They returned 29% of assists from a season ago, which you could tell from this last year. Or Jeez. from this last game. Um, top two assist getters, I guess, are gone. Rebounds. You do return 51% of your rebounds because you returned Foose. And then minutes played last year, you returned 46%. Goodness gracious. Team fun you, this year, guys. Team you fun. Do, you do return 73% of blocks because of Foose and uh, Atiki. Oh, let's go. That's fun. Uh, Two of your top four rebounders are gone. Top two three-point percent getters are gone. Top two steal leaders are gone. Um, And top three minutes played players are gone. So, like, everyone who played and contributed last year are just gone. But the the deep blue guys are licking their chops because now they have new, like, all new players to to pick (laughs) from. Content central. I I do have, not to extend this too much longer, but, like, in the Big 12, is this style of recruiting like realistic in I, helping us be competitive? Because I just, it just feels like we just bring in these guys all the time that have no chemistry with one another. They're, they're coming from failed situations or different colleges. It just doesn't, somebody pointed it out last year, I think, even. It just doesn't feel like a recipe for success. It can be. Uh, it usually takes a second. Like this was the strategy Oregon went with last season. Um, and they started off really, really slow and then, you know, figured it out at the end. But Miami, like their team was like mostly transfers, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and they, they made a sweet 16 run. I think it's the recipe BYU has to follow in order to be competitive in the Big 12. I think it's the only recipe that can lead to any success for BYU. Because BYU is not going to get like the top recruits in basketball, like locally, sure, but like nationally, they're not going to get enough players to compete with Kansas, with Kansas State, with Oklahoma State, and like right. these basketball schools, Baylor. So, if you're expecting that you're just going to get these guys from Utah, develop them, and hope that they turn into real contributors, and you can p- contribute, or I guess you compete once every like four years, once that class becomes seniors. Like that's not a winning formula, right? To be competitive one out of every four seasons. 
So what you kind of have to do if you're BYU, if you're wanting to compete at that level, the level of a Baylor or a Oklahoma State or a Kansas or even like an Iowa State, is you're going to have to bring in transfers and you're going to have to take flyers on guys like Jackson Robinson, who went to Arkansas, who went to Texas A&M, who were like top 50 high school recruits and just didn't pan out at their first school or even their second school. And just hope that like you can you know, bring something out of them to help them compete. So I think like, it's not preferable if you're a BYU fan. Cause again, like we're sitting here talking about like, who are these guys, right? Like it was a, kind of a lot more fun when you knew, you know, Noah Hartsock, Jonathan Tavernari, Jackson Emery, Jimmer Fredette, Charles Abua, like you knew who these players were. You saw them come into the program. You watched them a couple of years before they became big time players but that's just not going to be the reality anymore for BYU basketball. Like you have to go after guys in the portal who are top prospects. Cause if you're relying on getting the Dallin halls and the Richie Saunders and the Tanner Toulson's year after year after year and developing them to becoming Jimmer Fredette's and Jackson Emery's and Charles Abuos, like that's just, you know, you're going to, you're going to have one competitive season and then Mark Pope's going to get fired because you're going to watch a bunch of freshmen and sophomore players from Farmington, Utah, just get the <laughs> rakes beaten off of them yeah. by Baylor and Kansas every single week. No, that's a good point. We need to get a BYU basketball player on the podcast. Like I heard, Wait, I heard get Spencer how dong, get how dong on the pod. I'd love, dude. I'd love, I'd love that's that. That's the official uh, hype train podcast. Tra- dude, Trace Stewart, player. I feel like would be a great interview. Oh, I think he'd be awesome. We'll do Rudy, Rudy Williams obviously like is already kind of a fan favorite because he wants to be a sportscaster. Like, I think he'd be really good too. What are we waiting for? Slide, I'm down. Slide in their DMs. I guess. I mean, we can go through uh, Jake. Yeah, maybe. No, well, we need to get on. We get. Yeah, we have. We can. We could probably get in contact with some guys. I know more of the football guys, but. Uh, basketball, we can. I'm sure we can figure something out. But we went anyway. an hour and 20 minutes. We, our plan was an hour. Hot takes. Football. But BYU won. But BYU D- won. D- so. Defense gives up zero yards this week. <laughs> Congratulations, <laughs> Trevor. You finally got one. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I wouldn't speak too soon. <laughs> oh man, it's Let's been fun, Saturday. guys. We'll wait till Saturday's over. We we got a little. We got a little heated today. We got a little. Uh, we got Finally. a little first take kind of action, which honestly, like, I prefer. <laughs> like, hopefully it doesn't sound like Hunter and I hate each other. Like, we're, we're super good buds. It's, if you thought uh, that was fiery, you should have been uh, fly on the wall when me and Trevor were texting about Peyton Bilgar's <laughs> wife in the parking spot. Oh, goodness gracious. You got, yeah, goodness gracious. Ruffles. That was the uh, most fired up we've ever been. <laughs> But with that, thanks, guys, for joining us here on the Hype Train Podcast. Uh, again, if you're listening this long, man, you guys are you guys are real sickos, and we appreciate you so much. Uh, we had a few people tweet, Hunter was wrong. Hunter is wrong um, last week. So shout out to all those guys. We hit them with a like, and we hit them with a follow. So Beautiful. This week's phrase, BYU is back. <laughs>